Okay, we are back with Crossing the Axis, the biz side of video production. I am Max Kaiser, the CEO of Pipeline. We are an all-in-one project management software to help you keep your production company organized, profitable, and on the way to bigger things. But that pales in comparison to the importance of what I am doing today, which is having an incredible interview, I hope, with Guy Bauer of Umalt, which is a video marketing agency out of Chicago, um, which there's just, there's literally so much to learn from what Umalt is doing. It is fantastic. Uh, I, I, I don't, I doubt we're going to be able to get it all in half an hour. Maybe we'll have Guy back again, I hope, uh, because there's just a lot. Guys work with clients like Dell, Whirlpool, Mass Mutual, James Hardy, uh, Deloitte. Um, and what is special about Umalt? I would have to say, that when a company declares, a company that makes corporate videos declares death to the corporate video, there's interesting stuff going on. Um, and I wanna dig into that. I wanna dig into how they go from being a production company to a video marketing agency and what that means and what that's meant for their business. Um, and I wanna talk about their videos, which are incredible and, and very, very, very different from the average corporate video that's out there. But let me get started by introducing Guy. Guy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Max. Nice to be here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how Guy goes from being an aerospace major at Purdue University uh, to being a video marketing agency owner? <laughs> yeah, um, I'll give you the the quick version. Is um, yeah, so I got a full ride to Purdue under a Navy ROTC scholarship uh, to do aerospace engineering. And um, my first semester, um, I realized engineering was very hard. And uh, I started making, uh, actually, I've been making videos since the seventh grade. Yep. It, it's just been my hobby. And I found myself uh, at that first semester just making a bunch of videos. A couple videos I made went viral. And this was 1999. So the way they went viral was people had to burn them on a CDs <laughs> and then move them over to the intranet in another dorm because the dorms couldn't talk to each other. Huh. Uh, so there I would be in my naval uniform, my my ROTC uniform, and people would be like, hey, you're the vacation guy or whatever video you know was going viral at the moment. So I kind of got the idea like, well, maybe, you know, maybe the Navy wants me to make videos. And I asked the Navy if I could keep my scholarship and they're like, no, we don't need, you know, videos. Yeah. So um, yeah, I left and started uh, interning for a show called Crank Anchors. And then, yes, love that show. And then moved on to the man show um, and found my way into radio um, executive producing a morning radio show. And all the while video was still my hobby. And then in 2009, the recession hit. And you remember it was awful. I went on, I, I sent out like a hundred resumes. I didn't go on one interview and I picked up this money magazine article in January. And the, the uh, headline was how to make money in 2010. And I was like, yes, I need to know that. And, <laughs> and there's a little article. Hey, if you have a talent, if you have a hobby, there's these freelance websites um, that you can go on and, and start freelancing. So I made a profile and I started freelancing on a site called guru.com. And yeah. my first project was for 50 bucks to edit a puppy video. Yes. And I got a five-star review and a nice write-up. And then I used that to go get a $70 job and an $80 job. And 
my goal was just to augment unemployment until I could get a, a you know a real job, but it just kind of took off. And uh, so in 20, um, yeah, so basically in 2010, I started my company and proceeded to make every business mistake you could ever make over the next eight years. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a winding path, isn't it? I mean, we, we no, none of us went to business school, right? So what's so funny is, um, you know, I read all those business books and, um, and, you know, don't work in your business, work on it. Right. All those tropes, like just because you know how to make videos doesn't mean you know the video business and all that stuff. But you know what? what I've learned is you just have to feel it. I can, yeah, I can read a book about cash flow, and every guru says how important cash flow is cash flow, cash flow. And theoretically it's hard to grasp what cash flow is. And I'll tell you what cash flow is. Cash flow is on a Wednesday night. Your wife looks over to you at the dinner table and on Wednesday nights, uh, the payroll hits, yeah. you know, the money comes out of the account because then on Friday, everyone gets paid, but they take the money on Wednesday night. At least our payroll does. And um, on Wednesday night at dinner, my wife says, we're, we're short. And I'm like, how, how much? We're $22,000 short. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, yeah. that's cash flow. <laughs> it's not until at 6 PM, I've got six hours until payroll hits that I have to find $22,000 get those now, lottery tickets going. Yeah. And you know, where did I find the $22,000 in From a Vinny. line of credit, in a line of credit <laughs> debt went into massive amounts of debt and, you know, and like, and, and then you don't know how debt affects your balance sheet. A balance sheet right. is boring. It's very abstract until, until you feel what too much debt feels like. Yeah. And when you you're you're on a, a treadmill of just interest payments and nothing is being done and, and you're like, oh, this is why debt is bad. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, you know, from 2010 to 2018, grew the company from zero to 32 full timers. Holy shit. In 2018, we made the um, Inc. Magazine, Inc. 5000 at number 800, whatever. Wow. So yeah, cool, right? But it's that same year. And by the way, Inc. advertises it. They don't go, you know, the way you get on the Inc. 5000 is by top line. They don't look at your bottom line. They only look yeah, at well, the top what, line. What, what kind of revenue numbers get, get you in there? 3.5 million top line. But Inc. 5000 is the fastest growing. So what they do is they look over your year over year, over year growth, right? Yep, yep. So in 2017, we did something like 2.8. In 2016, we did 1.9, whatever it was. So it was like very fast, but that they measure it by top line. But then when they, they award you, they go the 5,000 best companies in the United States. Now that is, and that is a function, I think, of why so many people get in trouble in this business is that the credit card companies say, get a credit card or take on a loan so you can grow your business. Everything is about growth. You have to grow your business. And I fell for that thing. I also fell 
for bragging about top line. Yep. So Max in 2018 landed on 800 something in the Inc. 5000, $3.5 million of top line. Guess what? That same year, I lost a million dollars. Oh my God. Ugh. I could have just gone to Vegas and had like a crazy, <laughs> I could have stayed in a suite for like a month straight and gone That's like gambling. Every it's like, how many Lambos is that? That's like at least four Lambos. <laughs> That's how I, I always think about losing money in terms of Lambos. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just easy. Quarter here, quarter there. It's unbelievable. Well, that's that's uh, so you restructured, right? That's what happened. Yeah. So from 2010 to 2018, we were a company called Guy Bauer Productions. Catch and you. in 2018, in 2018, it was so sad. You know, I laid off a ton of people, great people. Um, I mean, it was down in the dumps. We actually had a light up sign. Because the logo was like a, a quill pen and then Guy Bauer. That was like the, the logo. And we had a light up sign, a big light up sign with my name in lights with the logo. And we had to take that sign down because we had to, you know, like sublease the place. And, <laughs> and they just, I saw it later and it was in a dumpster. And it was this, it was like my name in a dumpster. It sounds like a scene from Citizen Kane, you know, the, oh, the second half. It is the lowest, you know, and... um. And so all those things were a function of just irresponsible handling of finance, not understanding what these numbers were. I would pretend like I knew what they were, and maybe I 50% knew what these things were. And it wasn't until 2018 when basically I was out of outs. You know what I mean? Like um, I was always able to mask the poor decision-making with top-line revenue. We yeah. would just book a lot of crappy work yeah but eventually we were a whole 32 person organization that was just on this treadmill of making terrible stuff yeah and so partly you know i like you know version a of the narrative is you know in 2018 they renamed and relaunched as umalt you know that's version a where we're in control version b <laughs> is really they made a ton of mistakes and they got their ass handed to them and they had to think of a new way to do things yeah. things. And that's why Umalt was launched. And I like to say that it's a bit of both because yeah. I, I started making decisions in early 2018, like rejecting client work that wasn't profitable. I started making those decisions, but failed to um, adjust uh, our staff <laughs> accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. Just awful. Like just, going by the seat of my pants and having no real structure. So yeah. in 2018, we brought in a consultant um, by the name of David C. Baker, and he came in and it's a two-day engagement. It's called the Total Business Review. And his rates are on his website. It's $20,000. So I didn't even have $20,000. I went into debt an another 20K because I was like, I just, you know, I can't do this. And um and on day one, he was like, you know, you're weeks away from bankruptcy, my friend. Uh, so what's your plan? And it was like sobering, very sobering. So we had a layoff. We had to do two rounds of layoffs. 
we had to sublease our beautiful space that we spent all this money rehabbing and making it look good. And probably had exposed uh, brick. I love exposed. It brick. had exposed. Brick. Oh, oh yeah. So it's the best. That's the best. yeah. Yeah. It was great. And, um, and we had to move into co-working and like, you know, same thing, name in the dumpster going from our space that was custom designed with edit bays and all this stuff to co-working spaces where we're crammed in with those tiny little Ikea desks they give you. So it was like, it was, um, it was super depressing, (laughs) but uh, I, I like to think that, you know, we, uh, well, we are totally like turned around and in, in the right direction now. I feel like if, if, I, if I edited these, which I don't, uh, I would put the saddest music over what <laughs> the, the last part is the sort of going down and then sort of a, a windy street sound and we're out. Yeah. But we're back because you decided to focus on, I mean, you really changed the entire what 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 you you basically went from as you explained very well in one of your your uh, blog posts uh, you changed the focus from being a guy a company that sort of cranks out videos to something very different and and well, what is that yeah so um and this is like a theory that was in my mind ever since I started my company but I could never put my finger on it and it it took me like eight years to figure this out is that when you look at a video or when you look at an ad, I don't like to call them videos anymore. I like to call them spots or ads. Mm -hmm. But anyway, when you look at a piece of content in the video form, um, what are you looking at? You are looking at an idea that is being transmitted to you through the medium of video. You're not looking at a video because if you were to just want to look at a video, you could just pull up a, a blue screen and just look at that blue screen. But the blue screen doesn't have a story. It doesn't have an idea. What you are doing when you watch, when you consume video, when you read a book or when you listen to a podcast or whatever, is you are, it is a delivery method for an idea. And I also saw over my eight years of making every single bad corporate video ever imaginable, there were also videos that I made that were very good. Um, one of them is still on our site. It's the premium beat spot. Love that and spot. That is, thank that you. is as someone that used premium beat for, and I still kind of do, but I mean, it just, goddamn, you hit, you hit the audience, you hit the user base, you hit everybody that ever has use premium beats. It's absolutely hilarious. Really well done. Thank you. Thank you. Go on their site, folks. There's a, there's a couple of pieces we're going to talk about today, but on on Umalt's site, the the premium beat, and it's, it's just hilarious with the premium beat guy, literally saying the name premium beat live every single, uh, on every single track, uh, you know, the, the, the sound that makes you absolutely freaking crazy when you're trying to edit and you're still not sure you want to choose that song, but you still keep hearing that fucking premium beat guy again and again and again, the idea of how that came about and that he's doing it live on every track is something that you have to watch. (laughs) Thanks. But yeah, I was wondering like, why is that good? Because it's not the video quality because actually our whole gear list for that was a light panels one by one. We didn't have diffusion. So somebody took off their white t-shirt and we used a t-shirt as diffusion. 
That's it. It was done on a C300, not Mark II, not Mark III, C300. So it's not the gear. Yep. I was like, why is that good? Yep. And it's good because there's an idea and there's a story. It yeah. starts off in status quo and then it ends with the guy getting fired. <laughs> and there's an up and down. Um, so I started putting all this stuff together and together, and I was like, okay. You know, and I started formulating, and, and this is probably what creative agencies and big agencies know anyway. It took me eight years to figure it out is that, oh, to make a good video that people like, it's actually a very distinct two-step process. Step one is come up with an idea, i.e. the creative, and step two is make it. And and like the other way to think about it is like when you build a custom house, when you build a custom house, you don't go direct to a carpenter. A lot of um, what you what you need to do is go to an architect. The architect uh, will ask you questions like, well, are you an in, indoor, outdoor people? Tell me what you like doing. Do you like cooking? Yada, yada. They'll ask you all those questions and then they'll draw you the plans. The end deliverable for the architect is just the plans, the, the blueprint, that's the storyboard. And then those plans then go to a general contractor to make it. And the general contractor is the video production company, true video production companies, like in the commercial world, right? They don't come up with the ideas. They right. are handed <clears throat> scripts and boards, right? And then they can put their spin on it. They assign a director and yada, yada. So I realized, oh, the, the clients that I had for all those years, what I was really doing for them, the non-crappy ones, the clients that I still have to this day, yeah. they didn't like me for my video production, for my the actual craftsmanship of the videos, i.e. the lighting and the you know, negative fill and all that stuff. They weren't hiring me for that. What they were hiring me for was the thought, the ideas, the 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 nuggets that were then translated into video. So basically in 2018, we just reversed the flow. We were always a video production company, video production. We have cameras. We have the best cameras, HD, 4K, whatever. <laughs> and, and instead of leading with that, now we lead with, ideas we make we we can create ideas that will give you business results oh and by the way we can make it too but that's the less important second step yeah, yeah it really shows i mean on the on the site it's on your site it's just it's it's like the ideas are just overflowing everywhere it's 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 pretty amazing like you just get the sense that you would go into a meeting with with you folks and 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 uh, it would be pretty entertaining yeah, I mean that's the goal, and and that's great to hear that it's translating yeah, to it's you because every now and then it's like I feel like I'm just writing to nobody, and <laughs> no, it's, um, it translates really nicely. Thank you. Yeah. Well, how do you in the in 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 the videos themselves? I think that uh, just to talk about them for a moment, let's just look at the Deloitte video. I love that video. Uh, it's very uh, memorable. In the video, basically, it, it attempts to sort of personify or sort of 
show Deloitte's process for production chain management um, and, and sort of moveify it a little bit, uh, if you will. Um, it you, you got to go watch the video, but it's very entertaining. Sort of gives a, a sense of sort of like mission, not mission impossible, but uh, it, it just does a really good job of, of making a production chain come to life in a very exciting way. Can you, can you tell us about how you approach that video because a production chain video that's a really boring um creative uh brief to get from the uh from the client hey, hey we need a uh and i've worked with deloitte before and i've seen the, their briefs and well, well we'd like to have a video about uh, the production chain and, and why it's so exciting um what do you do with that right yeah so the product's name is uh synchronized planning and fulfillment and the brief was uh, like 10 pages long and they send you a bunch of decks and everything. Right, decks, and yeah. I, I could see the, the typical corporate video or the, the way that a normal video would be for synchronized planning and fulfillment would start with uh, like, meet Bob. Bob is the supply chain manager for a, a Fortune 100 organization with supply chain and fulfillment issues. He doesn't know. And it's like, you know, one of those things like now his organization managers can track, you know, anyway. So that's the typical way. Um, now, what's interesting about this project is that. Uh, three quarters of the way through the brief, somebody wrote down um, like this little story. It was like, you know, an order comes in and then this happens and then like they wrote the flow of how synchronized planning and fulfillment works. And uh, it just sparked in my mind, like, Oh wait, what if we had like a command center, like a NASA command center. So someone goes to buy a product and you know, then we're in like the, we're in millisecond time, almost like inception when you move one layer deep and time is slow and you're going at the speed of light and all that stuff. And it, the idea like just came to us. Um, uh, that's how it, that was done. There wasn't like a specific, we follow a process for every project, but that was a unique case in that uh, it was like this little passage that somebody wrote that we just like kind of globbed onto. And that's what I would say is um, how to come up with great ideas is, you know, really hard and the ones who can do it will it's like writing able. songs you know i mean sometimes yeah they come to you in different ways right that's right and all i could say is the best way to do it is to actually listen to shut up to not go in with a standard you know back in the day when we were guy bauer productions pretty much every one of our projects was we interview somebody and then take b-roll around the office right so interview the ceo and then do slow motion b-roll people at their desks on the phone and then in conference rooms and walking down hallways and that was pretty much every project that and so we did you get them at the, the whiteboard oh yeah whiteboard because oh, okay. that's a critical you you want to yeah. see that yeah, the whole I like, thing. I like your video about that, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. The drone. Yeah, all those spots that we make on our website, it, it's all out of pain. You know what I mean? That's a, it's just. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, with synchronized planning fulfillment, we truly came in with a blank slate of yep. like, let's just let's just listen and absorb and then just rely on um, your ability to synthesize and let your subconscious do the driving 
I'm a firm believer in uh, sleeping on it. Every one of our best ideas and my personal best ideas have always come on after sleeping on it and letting ideas kind of stew and marinate and not being on this like, like, you know, pressure to, to come up with something. Um, Use your power of, of sleeping on it and let your subconscious do a lot of the work. So that's how that project came to be. And, and what was it like, um, you know, what was it like selling it to the client? Okay. So this is what we're thinking. <laughs> I mean, Deloitte, they're, they're not, you know, um, they, they can be pretty uh, literal. Uh, and so what was it like trying to sell this? Because uh, I think that's a big part of it too, right? One of the reasons I think you get stuck in that vein of making the classic corporate videos, you think, well, that's all the client's going to accept. You know, that's that's what they're expecting. That's what we're making. Uh, how do you how do you go into that? And, and, and then obviously once, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but once you've established yourself as, as the crazy people, um, then, uh, then they're expecting that. But in this case, how, how did you sell it? So I, um, <laughs> this was during, so this was actually made in 2019. So uh, we, we didn't have our process kind of, we didn't have our sea legs completely down, um, now we have like a very codified process of how to sell in creative work yep. and we take them step by step. Um, for that project, it was the be- the biggest thing you need in order to sell work is an advocate inside of your client company. If you don't have an advocate, if you're just dealing raw with like a product person who doesn't have any marketing savvy and just sees you as just a vendor and they see you as more like a doer than a true expert or consultant, then yeah, the chances of selling creative work are very low because they're just going to tell you what to do. And and they, they're usually extremely risk averse. They just want to do what has been done before. So with S. Uh, we call it SPNF, synchronized planning and fulfillment. We did have an internal advocate at Deloitte who, like, understood, truly understood how to read a storyboard and how to read a script. And she would go to bat. So I would say that you know the what you need what you need to do is you need to pre-visualize as much as possible what this thing is going to end up looking and sounding like and feeling like through scripts and storyboards and pre-visualization, mood boards, all that stuff. But you also need an advocate. And if you don't know who your advocate is, you know, when you look around, well, A, maybe try to find one. (laughs) Is there someone that you can have a private call with and kind of have just a little one-to-one so that you get them on your side and, and they potentially will go to bat for you? But if you don't have an advocate, yeah, it's the deck's kind of stacked against you. Well, I want to, I, I got to beg you to come back on the show sometime because there's a couple of these topics that I just want to be able to dive into a lot more uh, deeply and and how to sell in your creative work and how to also be seen as a creative peer are two questions that I would love to expand upon uh, at, at further length. But sure. at the moment, I kind of want to stay on the track of this transition. Um, 
from being the the prod code to the video marketing agency because I think it's something that when a lot of production companies get a little longer in the tooth and get either get some success or hit hit a wall a serious wall like you did they start asking themselves you know how can I get a bigger seat at the table how how can I get my creative to be more seriously um, uh, regarded and and make that a bigger part of what I do. Uh, and and what our team does, and 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 clearly you went sort of through that Rubicon, and and you, you came out on the other side, um, and you started with the idea of 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 taking making the the creative first, putting it above the gear, and 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 so forth. How did that change what your? How did that change? For instance, one quick question would be: How did that change what your team looked like? You said yeah. you had thirty people. What what does the team look like now? Yeah. So this was the real sad part. So we had 32 people and they were all, or I would say like 95% production right. roles, right? right. Uh, we had on staff DPs, we had on staff directors, we had on staff equipment managers, we had editors, VFX, motion graphics, designers. It was all based in production. And unfortunately, when you move model, the move the model to more of a creative first, that's where, like, that's where those two rounds of layoffs came in. And yep. it was like the saddest thing and um, just awful. Yeah. Um, so now we're only four people. Wow. Uh, and it's uh, uh, me. And then we have hope our COO. So she's, she takes off the pressure of running a business so she, uh, from me. So I don't have to worry about the business just being in business anymore. So she yep. handles all the business stuff. My wife, Jen is our, basically she's like our EP slash controller finance. Um, so she will do EP tasks once the pr project is moving into production because production is still half of what we do, you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 And then we have a project manager and then I'm the only creative and we basically, our policy is until you know, for the foreseeable future is uh, we don't take on more work than I can personally handle. So, you know, and then maybe, maybe that'll change a few years from now. Maybe we acquire another agency or I just meet a creative director that I really uh, vibe with, you know, and then we get along and maybe we expand the team like that. But basically I'm the CD on every project and then we'll bring in a creative team. So we may bring in art directors, we may bring in copywriters, we may bring in editors or, you know, other producers. So we kind of expand and contract based on the project. What that allows us to do when I had 32 people, I had to take on stinky work just to keep everybody employed. And because everybody was employed, we had to take on stinky work. And it was like the spiral downwards. Well, when you don't have that many people, when you just have four full-timers, we don't need to take on stinky work anymore. Yeah. So that the, the low headcount allows us to be very choosy. It, you said we went through the Rubicon, the transition. Back in the day in Guy Bauer Productions, we needed to close 60% of the deals that yeah. came in through our door. Now we close about 6%. And it's not even because they're saying no, it's because we reject most of them because either they're not qualified or it's boring work or uh, like, we're just not into it. I, I don't know about you, but 
I can't do stuff that I'm not into. Like for some reason, I just don't like animation. I can respect animation. I don't like it. Like maybe it's not that I don't like it. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at like yeah. creatively directing animation. Like explainers and that kind of thing. I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, oh, I they're, brutal. They're, br they're brutal. I'm sorry. They're brutal, man. I mean, I did so many goddamn explainers for Microsoft and all kinds of different folks. And, and, and one of the things is, is it's, you know, and I think you have a podcast about, you know, don't get lost in the details in your video and explainers are just all details. That's it. I mean, it's, it's literally one detail after another for the most part. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that they're down funnels. So usually explainers are meant to be in, you know, consideration or decision. Yeah. And that's the other thing is I realized that I really like the awareness stuff like and I'm good at it. The top yeah. Of the top. yeah. Yeah. I like getting attention, yep. you know, like I really being big, being big ideas, right? Big ideas. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. Okay. So now you've gone from 30 to four people closing 60 to 6%. What do the financials look like now? So, um, I'm not going to disclose our current financials, but yeah. I'll just say this. I'll say this is that way lower than 3.5 million yeah, top sure. line, yeah. but bottom line, we've been profitable the past three years. And so I've, you know, we were able to dig ourselves out of all the debt we rang up yep. and, and it taught me another lesson about business. Like, wait a second, you can be profitable, like multiple times more profitable uh making less top line yes uh, you know what i mean <laughs> yes very much yes and so right now you know it, i would say you know we don't have this drive to grow too like i said i think that whole growth thing is such a dumb american way to look at it <laughs> gotta be a billion everyone wants to be a billion dollar company and everyone wants to have an exit and yeah. you know, whatever and, you know, there's this, I know I'm rambling here, but uh, no. at the end of the Steve Jobs biography, Walter Isaacson lets Steve Jobs write the last chapter. And Steve Jobs writes, you know, this thing in America where everybody is just looking to either sell out to private equity or have an IPO, you know, basically they're just in the, the kind of arbitrage of a business mode instead of, he's like, what about just like having a business and just like running it for a very long time. And, and instead of some big exit, you just take your distributions I, every quarter. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's so funny. I'm in software now, you know, and, and, uh, and, and we also want to be in business for a very long time and make a product that, uh, that we shepherd for a very long time. And that is so out of step with, you know, trying to get uh, uh, venture capital money for that. Um, nobody wants to give it to you unless you can show them an exit within a year or two. That's right. um, you know, it's just, it's very frustrating uh, that that's the way, certainly the way the capital markets uh, think. And it's, 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 it's it's really tough when you really just want to say no. I actually want just like a good old fashioned, solid business that I can sink my teeth into. So kudos to you for 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 looking at it that way. And of course, I think a lot of us only come to that the hard way for sure because right. we're so taught, and or we're society. Everything just sort of pushes you in the direction of just grow, grow, grow. Get that top line up. Brag about the top line. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. And and. And just like, I'm so content 
See, the way we're growing now is not growing in top line and headcount. We're growing in the ability to codify a creative process. Like, yeah. you know, I used to have to read books on how to do cost accounting because I didn't know, you know, and I was in panic and how to, I, I didn't even have time to read books fully, but they were all about like fixing something that was wrong. Now the books I read are like Rory Sutherland, Alchemy. Or John Cleese just has a book uh, came out um, about creativity. Now the books that I read are more like, how do you do it better? Like, have you read not? The, have you read the Pixar book? No. Oh, yeah. I'll 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 find it. I'm looking around my office for it right now. Um, but uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it's 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 the best one I've read. But yeah. But now our organization grows in like efficacy instead of and like. Now we, we, we never looked at how effective our videos were either. I don't know about you, but we never, they, we just sent them to the client. Yeah. I want to get to that as our last sort of part of this. And that is that you've taken on, or at least you are moving in the direction of taking on distribution and being on the hook for the efficacy of your productions. Let's, let's talk about that because that's, that's, that's sort of terrifying to me. <laughs> it's so terrifying, but it's that terror. It's the way I, describe it is when you're doing trapezing whatever it's called and there's a net you're going to you know you'll still give it your all but maybe it's 99% because you know there's a net yeah well when you have accountability now in terms of the results you are trapezing without a net what are the chances that you're really going to really, really pay attention to make sure because you're right. dead meat if you miss. Right. So um, it's the same thing as like when a client, you know, there's a bit of reassurance. There's a bit of assurance when a client rejects a bold idea you have and wants to go the safe route. There's a little bit in the back of your mind. You're pissed because the idea was great and you wanted to do it. But in the back of your mind, you're like, well, at least I'm off the hook for if this thing is good or not, because <laughs> we're just doing their annoying thing. But you know how when a client is like, yeah, guy, whatever you think, we, you know, you, you get that creative blank check. Every time that ever happens, I get scared because I'm like, well, now if this thing sucks, I only have myself to blame. I cannot blame the client because they gave me all the trust in the world. But 100% of the time, anytime that's ever happened, where we've been given a creative blank check, it all comes out successful. So we don't do distribution for every client. We won't take accountability for results for every client. There has to actually be a good fit. And they actually have to compensate us for all that stuff too. Yeah. Um, because you know, our method of doing things are, is a little weird, you know, so they have to be on board with that. And yeah. so we're not going to take the level of risk for every engagement, but yeah, I find that creating without a net leads to better stuff. It actually leads to being less safe. Yeah. And, and it's not about taking dumb risks, but it's about taking like really calculated, smart, balanced risks and I feel like our work just keeps getting better the more we take responsibility for what ends up happening. And, and there's just something there's something so fulfilling, right, about uh, about owning that process from A to Z. Like for me, there was never 
anything worse than making like what I thought was an incredible video that I knew if it was marketed properly uh, would do incredible things. And then just seeing it sort of flop like a dead fish on their transom while they, you know, just put it up on YouTube and waited for some clicks. Oh yeah. You're speaking. Yeah. Now you're, that's, that's hitting me hard. Yeah. I mean, sometimes clients, even left our filing, like our, our file name, it would be like two, nine, six underscore, <laughs> you know, blah, 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 V three final a or final two dot MOV, yeah. you know? And yeah, um, I don't know why the people don't really watching the video. I don't know uh, what's going on, but uh, kind of, yeah, not people aren't that interested. It's, it's happened to me too many times. Yeah. And yeah. that's, and it's, it's upsetting because in our business, you know, I've been, okay. So I've been doing this professionally for 11 years now. I've run yeah. a business for 11 years. Yeah. And I can say that 11 years later, it still hurts. It still hurts when one of my babies um, either like doesn't like when the client doesn't like it or rejects it or makes notes and kind of messes it up. And you have to teach yourself over 11 years, like, well, you know, it's their work, like, you know, disassociate from it, but our business, there's a bit of your soul to do it properly, to do that synchronized planning and fulfillment thing. You are watching a bit of my soul in that, like that. I had to have an open soul and I had to have created, like, I haven't been hurt before and yada, yada, like, you cannot do this without it like laying your soul out yeah. there and being yeah, yeah, vulnerable. Yeah. It's yeah. just impossible. Absolutely. And you only have, you know, there's, I, someone said, I don't know, they, you know, you're only going to have so many to give, so you got to make them count. You know what I mean? I mean, at someday you're just, you, you, we're all going to say, okay, that's enough. That's enough of these. Cause I'm, I'm sick of putting my soul out there, but the ones that we're putting out there now, we, we got to make count. So you're right. It yep. really it hits you hard. It does. So, I mean, I, I just imagine that that feeling of being able to own it all the way through is, is, is very fulfilling um, to the full picture. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's a game changer. Yeah. And, 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 and all I could say is, listen, you know, we, our file structure, we're on project right now, I think like 980. So, uh, 980 projects, 980 different videos I've done over the past 11 years. And actually we only started naming that after two years. So, uh, I probably done over a thousand projects and it's taken me a thousand projects to kind of get it into this zone of being able to own the creative, you know, a lot of people don't even, you know, I, I, I talked to a ton of young studio owners yep. and they're like, well, how do you do it? You know? And they want to do it now. And I'm yep. like, you know, a lot of it is when our clients hand us a check for $250,000, they're also handing that check over, like, because they trust that we're not just going to like blow it uh, on a Lambo. Like there's almost. Now a, you're speaking my language. Yeah. There's a, there's a different layer of trust yeah. and you can't shortcut that trust. No. They have to have known you in the marketplace for a very long time in order to have confidence to even give, to even write that check and send it to you. Yeah. Like they have to have fiduciary trust in you. Yeah. Like, um, so 
like have patience. And it, it took me over a thousand projects and I'm still making mistakes. We're still screwing up left and right. Yep. And, and, you know, realizing this and that. So it's just a very long process to get to this point where, yeah, clients do give us these, this trust and this rope, but it, you know, it was, it's, it took a long time to earn that. It took a long time. Yeah, no, I feel you, man. I, I, was, I think I counted seven, seven fifty deep myself when I finally exited the building. So I, 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 I know, I know what you're talking about. And uh, well, it's, it's been amazing talking to you guy. Uh, this has just been w- literally one of my favorite, I think most in, uh, inspirational and informational, especially for our client base, you know, most of our, Folks are, that are listening, we're, we're kind of aimed at, at, at companies that are a little more established and, and trying to figure out how to get past certain ruts and certain, and, and you're talking about some really deep ones um, that, that we get into. And you've, you've given all of us some uh, great, great ways to, to relook at the work we do, to, to, to reexamine, to reevaluate, to take those uh, changes. So uh, and and you've been so honest and candid with us, and that's what makes this show great. So I, I cannot appreciate, uh, I cannot thank you uh, enough for it. And uh, I, again, I really hope we're going to be able to have you back on because I got like five other topics that I would love to hit <laughs> you up with. And folks, do go check out their website, uh, Umalt. Uh, what what is it, guy? What's the is it Umalt.com? Yeah, U-M-A-U-L-T.com. Just for the sheer value of watching the videos and then just seeing how um, a, a website can be done. Because they actually do, one of the topics I want to do on, a, on, a, on this podcast is just about websites. And they do a really nice job of providing a lot of great information that gives the client an idea of who they are. But it also has, it has something called an idea generator in there. They have their own podcast going with the, their like 30 or 40 episodes deep, um, all about ideas and generating great ideas. And, and it, it's just the kind of stuff that you're, you're, you're going to want to go watch, listen to, probably copy and steal, um, but do it, go check it out. And you, you won't, you, you, you won't be sad you did. So anyway, again, thank you guy for coming on the show. Um, and we really appreciate it. Yeah. My pleasure, Max. Anytime. All right. We will talk to you later and we will see you folks later. In the meantime, uh, don't forget to give videopipeline.io a visit to get that project management software that you know, you need, to, uh, to get yourself organized and profitable. All right, I'm Max Kaiser and I will talk to you later.